helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. All of the mistrust in federal institutions, not to mention the accusations against certain Supreme Court justices, well, some people are claiming that SCOTUS is corrupt and therefore not trustworthy. Some people want to get rid of certain justices, while others want to pack the court. Is the court corrupt or pure as the wind-driven snow? What about the justices? Are they clean or are they dirty? If there is a problem with the Supreme Court or any of the inferior courts, what is the correct way to deal with it? The third branch of government is where we go to resolve disputes. That's the definition of the judicial power vested in the courts. What happens if we cannot trust those we go to for their decisions? Where does that leave the American people? Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. I'm so glad you could join me today as we're taking a look at uh, a little bit about the Supreme Court. I've been working on a, a three-part article on the three branches of government, and, and I will be, be covering the Supreme Court in a little bit. But there's been so much news going on around the court, the justices, and a few of these cases that I thought it was worth taking some time to maybe delve a little bit deeper. Now, a couple things I want to set is kind of the baseline, right? So the, the third branch of government, is we call it the judicial branch. Now, Article 3 of the Constitution is where the judicial branch is created. And Section 1 starts off with, the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. So that's the judicial branch. And as I mentioned, you know, if you go to, to Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, the judiciary is that part of government that deals with deciding decisions. It, it also deals with, with criminal prosecutions, but it decides controversies. And, and that's kind of where the, the role of the court is designed to, to work. You've got two branches of, of the federal government, two other branches of the federal government, right? You got the legislative, you have the executive. What happens if they disagree? That's where the court comes in. Their job is to decide a controversy. What happens if, if someone claims that one of their actions is a violation of the Constitution? That's where the courts come in. Their job is to look at the law and the, the actions and say, okay, does this meet the Supreme Law of the land? But it's important to remember that the courts don't create the Supreme Law of the land. They, they, in fact, the opinion of a court is not the Supreme Law of the land. Article 6, Clause 2 lists three things. This is the supreme law of the land. The Constitution, the laws the United States made pursuant to the Constitution, and treaties made or shall ma that have been made under the authority of the United States, which is created by the Constitution. Notice what you don't see? Courts. In fact, the uh, Supremacy Clause says, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding meaning the judges are bound to the Constitution, not the other way around. Now, that's not the way the court has been working for the last, old oh, 60, 80, 100 years, but that's what that Constitution actually says. So the courts, in many ways, have assumed a lot of responsibility that's not necessarily theirs. They've also assumed a, um, 
a method of coming to decisions that places much more weight on the decisions of their predecessors than on the actual language of the Constitution or laws of the United States. But is that sufficient to say the court is corrupt and, 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 and should not be listened to anymore? Well, there have been plenty of accusations, uh, many of them, by the way, uh, alleged against uh, Justice uh, Thomas. But I saw this one that I don't think has been getting nearly as much play. See, according to the Associated Press, uh, Justice Sotomayor's staff has often prodded public institutions that have hosted the justice to buy her memoir or children's books, works that have earned her at least $3.7 million since she joined the court in 2009. So that obviously brought out, well, it's kind of, wait, wait, they're, they're, they're prodding institutions to buy her books? Now, l- let me give you a little bit of a, a background on, on something I do, right? Um, I speak at any events I can. I, I, if it's local, I don't worry about it. If it's travel, I like to do a travel course. But my rule of thumb is, if you're not charging for the event, I do not charge you to speak at it. All I ask is the opportunity to sell my books. So whether it's an event I'm sponsoring or I'm involved with, or you're asking me to come speak at your event, the only thing I'll ask, if you don't charge uh, ticket prices, then all I ask is a chance to sell books. And sometimes I sell books, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I sell enough to really cover my costs, sometimes I don't. But that's the way I do things. So my first thought here is, well, okay, is Justice Sotomayor just doing what I do? In other words, she goes to speak, maybe it's at a college or a university or somewhere, and uh, she sells books. Now, she also gets paid to speak at these engagements. Again, I don't have an issue with that, right? My choice to not to not to get a, a, a paid fee for events where people don't charge is my choice. Now, if you have an event where you're, you're selling tickets, I'm going to want a speaking fee. That I think is fair. If you're, if you're pay, paying for people to show up, then I want to get something for that in addition to selling my book. So again, I don't necessarily see this as a as a problem. But here's the interesting thing. The way the AP says this is that that this that her staff prods public institutions to buy her books and memoirs. Now more from the Associated Press. They said that that uh, documents reveal repeated examples of taxpayer funded court staff performing tasks for the justice book ventures which workers in other branches of government are barred from doing. But when it comes to promoting her literary career, Sotomayor is free to do what other government officials cannot because the Supreme Court does not have a formal code of conduct, leaving the nine justices to largely write and enforce their own rules. Okay, let's back up back up just a little bit here. And again, I'm not a fan of Justice Sotomayor. I think her opinions are... Uh, frequently not based in anything approaching the Constitution, uh, and, and some of them are just truly outrageous, but I want to give her a fair deal. So the question is, okay, is it proper for taxpayer-funded court staff to help her sell her books? Well, here's one of those things where, as, as the AP reports, there's no law, there's no rule saying no. In other words, uh, according to her, the Supreme Court doesn't have a quote-unquote formal code of conduct, meaning the, ju- the justices can make their own rules. Okay, had the justices decided that 
this is a, an appropriate use of their time. And again, I, you know, I look at this and part of me says it depends. In other words, are, are we talking about you know court staff that are setting up these events and doing a whole bunch of work? And oh, by the way, um, you know, the, the 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 justice would like to sell books while she's there. That's a lot different from having them, you know, out front hawking wares like, you know, they're selling peanuts at a at a baseball game. Now, one thing that makes my antenna go up is this comment of that they don't have a a formal code of conduct. Because that's been one of the things that, well, let's say certain people that are not happy with uh, the justices, some of the justices' opinions lately have been pushing for. Let's create a formal code of conduct. Um, let me give you my opinion on that. So on the one hand, I don't necessarily have a problem with a formal code of conduct. Uh, you know, for example, the, the article one, uh, I'm sorry, article three of the constitution, uh, section one says the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts shall hold their offices during good behavior. So what is good behavior? Obviously, the, the, that's defined by the House under impeachment and the Senate, whether or not they, they convict on the impeachment. So if they were to set out a set of conduct, right, good behavior, this is good behavior, then, uh, you know, these are the things that if you do, uh, we will not uh, impeach you for it. Maybe they put in, you can do that, you can have staff assist, but not more than, you know, X percent of their time or X amount of hours a year, or whatever. They could tell, they're basically telling the court, here's our definition of good conduct. The problem I have is things have become so politicized, I somehow see this, this uh, call for a formal code of conduct only being used when the, when the Marxists are unhappy with the decisions of the court. It's kind of like court packing. You don't hear much about court packing when the court is doing exactly what the Marxists want, but as soon as the court starts deviating from what the Marxists want, then, well, you hear court packing. And of course, that goes all the way back to, uh, to FDR. You can even go, to some extent, back to uh, uh, John Adams. And uh, when he lost the presidential election to Thomas Jefferson, attempts to pack the court. Um, so I look at this and say, well, at this point, the AP has admitted that what Ms. Sotomayor has done is not a violation of the rules because there are no written rules, that uh, it's really up to the court to decide what is what are they going to allow for this behavior. I think that's a little wrong, right? Because there's there's nothing that stops the, the, the House from uh, filing articles of impeachment against Justice Sotomayor if they believe her conduct is bad behavior which we haven't seen, by the way. So um, this may be a little of you know hyperventilation over something small and minor. Now, what is interesting is the, the court had followed the uh, rare precedent of actually issuing a statement about, uh, about these allegations. In it, they say, judges, including justices, routinely travel and speak to university, college, and law school audiences and affiliated individuals and entities. Judicial staff play an important role in assisting in issues of ethics, travel, and security. 
Now, the the statement also made a, a point about uh, the judicial ethics. It said, for example, judicial ethics guidance suggests that a judge may sign copies of his or her work, which may also be available for sale, but there should be no requirement or suggestion that attendees are required to purchase books in order to attend. You know, kind of like what I say. I have books for sale. Maybe I sign some of them. Um, you're more than welcome to purchase them, but you're not required to. Uh, the court also said that uh, justices are allowed to engage in extrajudicial activities, such as speaking on both legal and non-legal subjects. And the Code of Conduct encourages public engagement by judges to avoid isolation from the society in which they live and to contribute to the public's understanding of the law. Uh, the court actually went on to say that uh, Justice Thomas has collected about a million dollars since 2006. Justice Breyer, who retired back in 2022, reported 700000 in royalty income. Uh, Justice Gorsuch has disclosed $900,000 since his confirmation. And, and uh, Justice uh, Coney Barrett confirmed that she received a $2 million advance for a forthcoming book uh, that, she got it in 20, that she got in 2020. Even Katanji Brown has signed a book deal, but the amount of her advance was not made public. So part of this I look at after the all of the attacks against um, Justice Thomas and all the, I'll, I'll go on and say, ridiculous allegations that because he has a friend who's part of a group, you know, actually because he has a friend who's rich, well, obviously he's influencing, even though he doesn't have any cases before the court, that friend has influence. Because he's a member of a, uh, a group that will try to help underprivileged kids, a group that has a lot of, well, let's say, very wealthy members, um, you know, even though they don't have cases before the court, somehow Justice Thomas has influenced things. They've been a lot of ridiculous. And I'm sad to say, sorry to say that the AP did the same thing here. Um, as long as the purchases were voluntary, there is no judicial ethics issue against Justice Sotomayor at least not in this case, right? As I've pointed out, there's plenty of ethical issues with a lot of her opinions, but that's not what's going on here. And I want, I, you know, one of the things I try to be is I try to be fair. I, I try to give the, the, the people, I don't want to say benefit of the doubt, but I want to find the facts. And that's why when I saw this uh, in the Epic Times, I, I saw this headline um, about the, the, um, about the opinion about the the judge the judge the court giving out a, a statement, I thought that was really good to see because where is this a, a big league politics is where I saw them hyping the the AP uh, article the AP account and again I think AP's just they've gone too far they they take what uh, is is nothing wrong nothing unethical nothing illegal the closest they've got is hey you know we're the were the staffers being used to sell books or were they merely there helping out as uh, the the justice was coordinating her event let's be a little less rash in how we we judge things simply because we agree or disagree with the person at hand and i think that's important as we look at any institution including the Supreme Court or any of the courts, that we realize, hey, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with human beings, which means, well, they're going to be fallible. They're going to make mistakes. But we also have to make sure that we're not uh, uh, judging based on incomplete information or, or headlines, that we actually go and find as close as we can. 
information from the horse's mouth, not so much from the other end, because that's where we get into trouble. Now, I have to take a break. Before I go, though, I mentioned I'm doing a three-part series on the three branches of government. Um, you can find them at americaoutloud.news. Just look for me, Paul Engel. It's not listed under the show. So uh, if you go to americaoutloud.news, you go under our team, you'll find me, Paul Engel, and uh, you scroll down and you should find the, uh, the, you can find the articles. You can also find them, by the way, on constitutionstudy.com. That's where you can also ask a question. If you'd like me to answer a question here on the radio, just click the ask a question button and fill in your question. Hit the checkbox that says, please answer it on the radio. I'd be more than happy to do so. You can also sign up for one of my mailing lists, get my, my monthly newsletter, my weekly insider update, or just have my articles emailed to you as soon as they're published. It's all found there on the website, constitutionstudy.com. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I get to the end of a busy day, especially the end of a busy week, and I start having a hard time keeping focus. That's when I reach for healthy cells, focus, and recall vitamins. It helps boost my short-term focus and my long-term brain power without the sugar or the caffeine you get in so many of the energy drinks and, 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 and stuff like that. And it works really, really well. I love it. It takes about 15 minutes to kick in and voila, the cobwebs disappear. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. Just go to americaoutloud.shop, look for the Healthy Cell card, click on that. It'll have all the instructions, but just make sure you put your card together, put in that code OUTLOUD. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. 
visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study, and today we're asking, can we still trust the federal courts? Now, one of the, th the biggest misunderstandings about the courts are actually the power of the court. What, what power does the court actually have? Sure, Article 3 says the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one supreme uh, court and as many inferior courts as Congress determines to ordain and establish. So um, we, we kind of have that question. But what, is, what are the limits of this executive or this judicial power? I mean, what is it? So I went and I looked it up in, in, 18, in Webster's 1878 Dictionary. The judiciary is that branch of government that deals with controversies and criminal prosecutions. Okay, it's still there, but what power does the government have? Or I should say, what power does the judiciary have? And there's a, there's a case that I want to bring up that I think is a, is a good chance to learn about the actual power of the federal government, including, or the judicial branch, including the Supreme Court. Now, recently, the court, the Supreme Court issued a, an opinion. They had made a decision. They voted six to three uh, that the Biden administration could not use its executive power to cancel certain uh, student loans um, or, or for, you know, certain non-Pell Grant. They, they, they couldn't sit there and say, nope, you, you can't do that. That's not a power delegated to the executive branch. If anybody's going to deal with that money, it's going to have to come out of Congress. Now, there has been a lot of brouhaha. I've seen a lot of people all but apoplectic that the uh, the Department of Education, which, by the way, is part of the executive branch, it's under the, 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 the Biden administration, well, they're actually going to start forgiving $39 billion worth of student loans, even though the Supreme Court said they didn't have the power to do so. And people, again, people, some people, their heads are exploding. Constitutional crisis. How dare the they they uh, you know overturn the court? Oh my God! It's the end of the republic. Well, it's not. And part of it has to come from an understanding of the actual power of the judiciary. And to to get to that answer, I'm going to go back to Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Paper Number Seventy Eight where he says, whoever alternatively considers the different departments of power must perceive that in a government in which they are separated from each other, the judiciary, from the nature of its function, will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the Constitution, because it will be least in a capacity to annoy or injure them. So let's pause for a second there. He's saying, listen, of the three branches of government, the least likely to do damage is the judiciary. Boy, I wish that were still true. Well, it would be true if we actually had a, a functioning judiciary. But listen, Mr. Hamill goes on. He says, the executive not only dispenses the honors, but holds the sword of the community. The legislature not only commands the purse, but prescribes the rules by which the duties and rights of every citizen are to be regulated. The judiciary, on the contrary, has no influence over either the sword or the purse, no direction either of the strength or of the wealth of the society, and can take no active resolution whatsoever. 
it may be truly said to have neither force nor will, but merely judgment, and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm, even for the efficacy of its judgments. Paul, you mean the 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 federal the, the the president can ignore the opinion of a court if he thinks it's wrong? Yes. If he thinks it's a violation of his con- of the Constitution or of his oath of office? Yes. But that's the big if. See, the problem is we've become brainwashed with this idea that the Supreme Court actually makes law. That when the Supreme Court issues an order, an edict, uh, an opinion, that is law. That's why they're so often called rulings when they are not rulings. It's one of those pet peeves that make me grind my teeth. So once we understand that, we realize, oh, you mean that you know the the, the U.S. Marshals that which is how the the federal judiciary enforces their opinions. They don't work for the courts. They work for the president. Oh, so let's go back to this. Uh, uh, federal student loan. Um, Is the president violating the Constitution by not listening to the court? No. He's violating the Constitution by violating the Constitution because he has no legal... Show me where in the Constitution the president can arbitrarily determine where money goes. All of, of... all the legislation, or I should, nobody can spend money out of the Treasury without an appropriation from Congress. I forget what, it, it, Article 1, Section, um, I forget, somewhere in Article 1, I have to, I'd have to go look for a second. I don't know, for some reason I can't think of it off the top of my head. But since Congress hasn't appropriated money to pay off these student loans, the president has no legal authority to. So while what, what the president is doing is, again, it's not that he's violating the the decision of the court that's unconstitutional. He's violating the Constitution by spending money or, you know, effectively spending money without appropriation from Congress. Now, is this an impeachable act? I believe so. I certainly think this would rise to a high crime, at least a misdemeanor. I mean, let's face it. If you had a if you had a corporate credit card, if you're if you're uh, employer gave you a credit card to use to say for for meals and travel expenses, and you went out and bought a car with it. You could lose your job. You could be arrested. A lot of bad things could happen. Here you have the president saying, "I don't have the legal authority. They, you know, Congress hasn't authorized me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway." That's uh, thirty nine billion dollars worth of fraud, worth of embezzlement. That certainly seems to be a high crime in my mind. But I find it interesting that everybody's focusing on the fact that the president's denying the court. Oh, my God, it's all over. Guess what? Even the court recognized that they did not have the authority to uh, try to compel a, a, the, the, the president to do something. It goes all the way back to Marbury versus Madison, where the court was asked to issue what's called a writ of mandamus, an order to the president to instate in someone in a, an executive office. And they said, we don't have that authority. And even the fact that Congress wrote the law saying we had that authority, the Constitution doesn't give us that authority, therefore we don't have that authority. But again, our misunderstanding of the federal judiciary, I think, is what's leading a lot of people to um, react to the wrong thing in this situation. 
the issue with the Department of Education is not that the primary issue is not that the they got an opinion from the court, the president disagreed with it. Where's his constitutional standing? Where's his evidence? Where's show me where in the Constitution the court got it wrong? He's not bothering because the he's got no leg to stand on. So who's going to hold him accountable? Well, it should be the representatives of you and me in the House of Representatives saying, wait a second. Here's where's the article. You know, we've got Marjorie Taylor Greene issuing articles of impeachment for political purposes. How about the high crime of embezzlement, spending money where you're not legally allowed to? Not hearing a word, are we? No, everyone's focused on the court. See, we've been trained, we've been brainwashed into believing that the Supreme Court is the supreme law of the land, but it is not. Paul, what do you mean? Well, it's real simple. Let's look at the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2. And if you've heard this till you're, you know, had too much, I am apologize, but I know I've got new people showing up, and this is something that we need to really make sure people understand. The Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2, says the Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. Do you know what it, you know, so you've got three things, right? You have the Constitution, you have the laws of the United States made pursuant to the Constitution, and you have treaties made under the authority of the United States, which comes from the Constitution. Do you know what you don't see there? Any court opinion. There's no judge, there's no court, the judiciary is not part, it cannot be the supreme law of the land. Not part of it, never has been. In fact, Clause 2 goes on to say, um, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the constitutional laws of any state of the country, notwithstanding. The judges are to be bound to the Constitution, not the other way around. This is a fundamental, a fundamental misunderstanding of the Supremacy Clause, and it's one that we really need to, to learn if we're going to live free. Because if all we're doing is transferring our authority in, that we have in representation into a bunch of black robe oligarchs, we're not free. It's, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things we have to, you know, uh, we really need a better understanding. It's one of the things I focused on in my boot camp that I had recently. By the way, I'm still working on the video. I'm hoping by the end of the month to have it available on the website, constitutionstudy.com. So you know, pay attention. I'll let people know as soon as it's available for, uh, up on the website for you to check it. Now, speaking of court authority, Let's take a look at another example. Uh, this, by the way, goes starts all the way back in uh, 2022. Uh, uh, back, well, the lawsuit was filed in February 2022. See, anybody remember when the Omicron variant was running everywhere and you know everyone's running around like you know, with their hair on fire? Well, the uh, the FDA EUA an oral antiviral called Paxlovid um, and Molnupiravir. Sorry, I probably mispronounced that terribly. They're, they're commonly known as monoclonal antibodies. Now, the state of New York had a set of directives that required the health care providers prioritize treatment to individuals based on several different factors. Uh, age, vaccination status, and, and other risk factors like uh, disease, uh, uh, diabetes, uh, cancer, obesity. But what's interesting is the directive also required that apart from any medical condition, non-white and uh, non-whites or Hispanic and Latino ethnicity were to be considered as an independent risk factor. 
Meaning, if you had two people with uh, similar situa uh, situations, you could give the Paxlovid to a, a black person or a, a, a Latino, but not to a white. You had to prioritize them over a white person. A, ba a racist healthcare implementation. Now, two people in New York, I believe New York City, um, objected, and in fact, they filed suit. A Mr. Roberts and a Mr. Vavruska, uh, they objected, and back in February 2022, um, they, uh, they filed a federal, in federal district court, and that case went to the Supreme Court, and, and I haven't seen a lot out, but I saw this report that's interesting, that um, basically... The court said, listen, it's now moot, right? That policy is no longer in place. Uh, we are not taking uh, the, we're not taking the case, right? Here's what's interesting, though. You see, when the court de decided not to grant certiorari, not to, to uh, accept the case, to review the, the, the plan, um, Justice Alito, he's, he basically said a statement that said, listen, um, you know what? We're not. I'm not real comfortable with this. In fact, Thomas joined into the statement, and they agree that the only reason they're okay with the denial is because the underlying circumstances have come and gone. It's not currently an issue. However, Justice Alito, in his in his statement, said that the case involves an issue of ongoing importance. Whether the Equal Protection Clause permits governments to use race or ethnicity as a proxy for health risk and therefore prioritize the treatment of patients on that basis. He said, if, if any government again resorts to racial or ethnic classifications to ration medical treatment, there will be a very strong case for prompt review by this court. Basically, just saying, listen, okay, you got away with this one, but if you try it again, if you try to use race or ethnicity as a proxy for health risk, um, we're going to push the court to accept this case on an emergency basis. And that's interesting because it comes in the light of the affirmative action case. Uh, was it uh, Students for Fair Admissions versus uh, uh, Harvard College uh, and also another one with UNC, University of North Carolina, where they said, no, you cannot, the state cannot use race as a basis for um, admissions, college admissions, high, university admissions. So what we're seeing is at least a couple of the justices saying, here's fair warning, New York. Um, you got away with it because the case was def defined as moot. But if you do it again, we will be ready to jump all over this as quickly as we can. Now, that's two of nine justices. Would there be, I think they need to have five in order to hear a case. Are there three more that would jump all over this? I don't know. But what I find interesting is the, um, the, the way this is portrayed, that the, uh, the, these two officials are basically warning the state that uh, if they use race again, they're going to pick up this case and, and slap them. And... Um, so part of me looks at this saying, isn't that arrogant to say, for have the, the court to say, we'll do this. On the other hand, I look at it and saying, is it also fair warning to say, just fair warning saying, listen, at least as far as these two justices are concerned, what you did was wrong. And um, if it happens again, 
we're going to do what we can to go after you. Uh, it's a very interesting situation because really it shouldn't be the court that's, that is initiating this. Um, this. I mean, it is a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It should be heard. And uh, the, the question then becomes, who actually gets sued? Because in order for, it to have, for the Supreme Court to have original jurisdiction, uh, somebody must sue the state. Right? They, they can't simply sue the, the city Department of Health because in order to have original jurisdiction, according to Article 3, Section 2, Clause 2, in all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. Otherwise, it's got to go to the district court first. So something to keep an eye on. Um, if New York State goes further down its, its racist uh, its racist tendencies. Now, I'm sorry, but I have taken another break, but I wanted to let you know that, you know, the Constitution study is just one voice on America Out Loud. So uh, do like I do. Go to americaoutloud.news every day. Make it a daily stop for your news and information. But then take that information and share it. The stories, the podcasts, the articles, the videos, that is how you help secure the blessings of liberty. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. The out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study, and today we're asking, can we trust the federal courts? Now, that's a bit of a broad statement, right? Because, well, the federal courts are made up of hundreds of judges and justices, right? And, and they're going to be different. They're individuals. They are unique. What I've been noticing over the last couple of years is more of a tendency at the Supreme Court to actually uphold the, the theories, the, the, the ideas of the Constitution 
even though they tend not to use the Constitution as the basis for it. They tend to use other opinions as a basis for it. Now, hopefully you remember the, uh, the Colorado case with 303 Creative, uh, where the web designer, the Supreme Court, said that the state of Colorado could not punish her for not creating unique content, special content, with messages with which she disagrees. It said, yes, we expect you to serve all comers, but you cannot be forced to, to express a message with, with, with which you disagree. And I was saying at the time that I hope this helps others that are fighting for their, their right to not be compelled to speak a message with which they disagree. Well, there's one case kind of flew under the radar. I didn't catch it right away. And that is the case of Aaron and Melissa Klein uh, of Sweet Cakes by Melissa. Their situation is similar to, uh, they're out of Oregon, by the way, but their, their, their case is almost identical to um, the Jack Phillips case in Colorado in that they are bakers. They make cakes, and some of their cakes are custom designed. And could they be for, could the state force them to create a, a cake with a message that they disagreed? Um, this, in their case, by the way, it goes all the way back to 2007. Right, 16 years they've been they've been fighting with this. Well, apparently, although I didn't notice at the time, um, the the Supreme Court, when they you know, short just shortly after they released the 303 Creative case, also uh, found for the the Bakers against Oregon in their case, saying that listen, um, you may claim that they're not you have no evidence that they're not serving people based on sexual preferences or whatever. But you're trying to compel them to, to speak a message, to communicate a message that with which they disagree. And that is a violation. They say it's a violation of the First Amendment. Since it's done at the state level, it's actually a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. Um, it's a violation of the state constitution. But so, you know, there are, I, I, if, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, I would have said, could you trust the Supreme Court? My answer is no. Mm -hmm. In the last couple of years, it's more of a uh, maybe. I got asked this question on another interview I was on, and uh, I want to explain it. Because again, we're dealing with nine people, and many of these rulings seem to be coming down 6-3, where you've got, uh, was it Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson that are uh, dissenting from these opinions. But why do I say maybe? Well, understand, I, and I'm going to go use the 303 Creative as an example. Um, I could also use the affirmative action one, but the opinions that are that I've read, the decision comes down not so much to the language of the Constitution, but to prior judicial opinions. Right? You, unless, of course, unless you're a masochist, you probably don't read through uh, uh, court opinions, but um, if you do you'll find rarely do they actually quote the Constitution itself. They almost always quote some other opinion of some other judge, which is why I say, hey, these are good outcomes, but their, their foundations are shifting sands, and that's the problem. The, the, uh, the parable that Jesus told of, of two men who built houses, one built their house upon the rock, one built their house upon the sand, when the rains came and the winds blew, the house built upon the sand crumbled because the foundation shifted. 
And that's kind of where we're at. This is a perfect example. It's one of the reasons why the, the Marxists are going apoplectic about the court, because they built their, their, their environment. They built their, their opinions on a shifting sand, and that sand has shifted. See, until just a couple of years ago, the idea of uh, the court, the, the, the government being able to force people to uh, communicate a message with they disagreed, well, there was a compelling government interest. The compelling government interest is to get rid of racism. Therefore, sure, a state can compel speech because we have this compelling government interest of, uh, of getting rid of racism. Even though we recognize that it's unconstitutional to force someone to do it, we're going to let it stand because we have a compelling government interest. They call it strict scrutiny. Actually, it's, it's, holding, it's a modern version of judicial review is basically how hard uh, government has to work to violate the Constitution and have the court still support it. So when I look at the um, uh, the affirmative action decision, I look at the 303 creative, I look at the, the sweet cakes decision, I'm seeing the sands shift. And the reason I say trust in the federal court should be a maybe is because those sands could shift again. If you've ever been somewhere with a sandbar that kind of appears and disappears, right? You go out there on the sandbar and suddenly the, the tide changes, the... the, the uh, you know, the currents move and that sandbar disappears and you have nothing underneath you. That's the concern. That these opinions, although they are favorable outcomes, are built on shifting sand and the very same opinion, the very same decision, could, a court could come to exactly the opposite decision simply by looking at different opinions. It's one of the reasons why I, I talk about the way the people need to read and study the Constitution so that we know what it actually says. It's why I say if there are nine people that need a reading comprehension program, it is the justices of the Supreme Court, because they cannot seem to read the basic language of the Constitution and comprehend what it says. So no, do I trust the federal courts? Not really. I'm happy with the outcomes we've had recently, but I can't say that I trust them enough to say, I'm going to put the futures uh, of myself, my family, my daughter, my neighbors, you and I, in the hands of nine oligarchs that are basing their decisions not on a firm written foundation, but simply on the, the current preferences and whims of the majority of justices sitting on that court. Here's another example. Anybody remember West Virginia versus EPA? This is where the EPA claimed the ability to create standards for fossil fuel power plants uh, and uh, regulate not just the emissions, but how the power is generated. And they got sued by West Virginia, and the court says, no, the EPA doesn't have the authority to do this. And I see a lot of people saying, oh, goody, goody, you know what this could, this could actually, um, this could actually be used against the Biden administration's push for electric vehicles, to make electric vehicles um, a, a requirement by simply regulating the tailpipe emissions of fossil fuel vehicles to a point where they cannot, beyond the, the laws of physics, you know, I, I keep thinking of Scotty in the original Star Trek, I cannot change the laws of physics. A lot of people believe that these EPA regulations are really meant to get rid of fossil fuel vehicles by making them phys physically impossible to be built and meet those standards. So a lot of people think, "Ooh, ooh, West Virginia versus EPA." That you know, if if they hold to that, 
then 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 you know maybe they could find this unconstitutional. But there's the important point. Will the court hold to that theory, that legal theory, and will they apply it in this other situation? See, the, the, the case dealt with power plants. What about tailpipes? And it's a lot based on how a court views things and the personalities that are on the court, how they view things. So if, when, when I, to answer the question, can we trust the courts? No. Because even though the, the justices may be coming to opinions we like, they're built on such a flimsy foundation, anything could bring them down. Well, for example, let's see, this group is called the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University filed a lawsuit uh, on behalf of a group of, of academics and, and professors against the state of Texas, claiming that their banning of TikTok on uh, state-issued devices and networks infringes on free speech. Now, I can prove in about 10 seconds that this law cannot violate the First Amendment. Because the first, first five words of the First Amendment are, Congress shall make no law. Congress didn't make this law. It's not a violation of the First Amendment. Period. End of story. I mean, there, there's, there really should be nothing else there. But again, we're dealing with people on the court. And people can be fickle. The question is, do, let, let's, let's take the First Amendment. Let's just focus on the free speech aspect of it. Does your ability to freely communicate, speech, press, whatever, mean that the state has to provide you the resources to do so? Because think about what, what they're saying is that the state buys the devices, the state pays for the networks, they're paying for the coverage, and they're saying, on our state-owned property, we will not. We will, we're going to ban TikTok. Well, if it's a, if you're saying that you cannot prevent me from using TikTok, how far is that away from saying uh, you can't prevent me from um, going to porn sites? And is it really that far of a stretch to say, you know what? I want to use this. You must provide it for me because that's the only way I can exercise my freedom of speech. It's ridiculous. But the question is, how will the judges on the court see this? It's going to hit the district court. It's going to hit the uh, uh, probably the the, uh, the appellate court. May eventually get all the way to the Supreme Court. How will the judges on the court find? How will they opine on this? So let me give you a, another case that may explain why I'm concerned. A federal judge in California dismissed a lawsuit brought by a parent who claimed that the child's school district uh, transitioned their daughter socially with pronouns and gender ident identity and failed to inform the parent. By the way, we're talking about a fifth grade child, so we're talking about 10 years old. And the, the uh, opinion of the judge when he dismissed the lawsuit he said, the issue before this court is not whether it is a good idea for school districts to notify parents of a minor's gender identity and receive consent before using alternative names or, and pronouns, but whether the United States Constitution mandates such parental authority. So this court holds that it does not. Now, I'm going to use a term, and, and I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying when I say that this is a violation of the due process. This opinion is a violation of the due process clause. because. It denies the parents the quote-unquote property they have in their child. 
I'm not saying that we own our children as as if they're slaves. But if you read the uh, essay that um, James Madison did on property, the parents are responsible for the child. The parents pay to feed and clothe the child. They pay the medical bills. They are responsible for, they have a, a an interest in the child. So if you deny them the ability to exercise what they think is best for the child without making sure, without going through a process that actually protects that right, this is, listen, what you are doing is harming the child. Therefore, those rights are, are, are suspended because, um, because of misuse. Then they are denying the parents the right to control the upbringing of their children. And as uh, um, Mr. Madison said, uh, in a word, a man is said to have a right to his property. He may equally be said to have a property in his rights. They're denying the liberty of the parents. They're denying the um, the the property they have in overseeing a, a a being they're responsible for. Again, I'm not talking about owning like slavery. I'm talking about person you have a responsibility for. And what's interesting is um, it it disregards the previous opinions of courts that say that the parents and not schools have the right and responsibility to make major life decisions on behalf of their minor children. So here you have a judge saying, I, I think that the, uh, um, the school should decide whether, you know, to protect the, the quote-unquote um, privacy of the child, rather than recognizing, even though other courts have said so, the parents' rights to control the upbringing of their child unless and until you can show that there is evidence of harm being done, which apparently didn't happen in this particular case. They simply said, nope, we can't, you know, the, the, the judge simply said that um, uh, uh, a parent's rights don't matter. Uh, it's not up to us to decide that. The Constitution doesn't say anything about it. Okay, it doesn't use the word parental authority, but it does recognize it. If you look at the history and tradition and you look at the, the even the language, you're seeing this idea of if I'm responsible for something, I have control over it. I get to decide how it's used. That includes minor children until they're old enough to make decisions for themselves. It's why children, the minors are not allowed to sign contracts. Um, there are many cases they're not even allowed to work without parental permission. They can't join the military. They can't do that because they don't have full possession of their rights because they are someone else is responsible for them. Now, I'm sure I'm going to get some nasty grants from people saying, how dare you say children are property? Listen to the entire context. It's why I explained why I use that term and, and, and how I came to that. Again, it's not that we own them like slaves. It's that we're responsible for them. And as long as we're responsible, we should get to decide unless and until via due process, it's shown that we are harming the, the, the child rather than helping the child. But it comes back to, are you going to trust your future to the whims of judges, which in many cases simply ignore the actual language of the Constitution, ignore the precedent they claim to uphold, um, put their own preferences before even the facts of the case? Ladies and gentlemen, that is not freedom. That is not liberty. That's being a subject. You're subject to the whims of someone else. And that is not what we declare. That's exactly what we declared independence from almost 250 years ago. Are we going to learn?
are we going to trust institutions? And, and I find it very hard anymore to trust institutions because so many of the people in these institutions seem to ignore the very, uh, uh, the very oaths they take. And I think that leaves us in a precarious position. It's why we need representatives that will impeach uh, judges, federal judges, for their bad behavior. Because if we don't hold them accountable, there's no reason for them to actually follow the law. Now listen, I hope you'll come back and join us here for the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen then, that's fine. All of my episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. You can find them on the website, americaoutloud.news, or in your favorite podcast app. But in the app, do me a favor. Subscribe to the show. Leave me a rating and review. It helps other people find the Constitution Study so we can have more of these great conversations. You can find all the links you need at americaoutloud.news, but please share them. That's how we share the blessings of liberty. Liberty. 